These are days of tough times and ongoing uncertainties. But in Spring Branch, we're taking tangible steps to help our local businesses by telling neighbors about PPP loans, linking them to online courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. When we got quarantined, we went en masse as a country to Netflix and got instantly addicted to a new series called Tiger King. It's about a roadside zoo in Oklahoma, a story of big cats and tigers that are bought and sold on the black market. There was a veteran show producer named Rick Kirkham who first stumbled on this story. Rick told David Spade just this week in an interview that his film crew would get into those tiger cages daily, tigers that were known to attack, to capture the story of a flamboyant, chain-smoking, dynamite-exploding, country-singing man called the Tiger King. And Rick said it was obvious this was a million-dollar story. And that's why he and his crew walked into those tiger cages. That's what you do if you want to be the first to get the footage that no one else is willing to get. Well, it's another Monday here in Houston. The city is still. Everyone remains hunkered down. We are all keeping far out of sight because we all know right now in this city, the world is a tiger cage and threats are incoming. But from the midst of this, just as with every other generational story, suddenly there emerges a woman, someone who is not so afraid of a tiger, who has intentions, obviously, about something more than making an easy million. Her motivation comes from something akin to duty bubbling up inside of her, maybe mixed with some careless passion for capturing art. But after speaking with her, maybe we'll all get that it's maybe a little bit of both, all wrapped tight in a casing of what is love for her town and its people. The currently embedded photographer, shoulder to shoulder with soldiers on the front lines of this war against an invisible enemy. Pulitzer Prize finalist, multi-award winner, Miss Marie de Jesus. Our executive editor, Steve Riley, told me early this week, reporters are forced to interview people from home. They can't get out there. They can't put boots on the ground. They're trying to obey this quarantine. But then Steve added something that was obvious, but also very profound. There are photographers certainly cannot shoot a picture over the phone. In yesterday's paper, was a photo spread called Portraits of Houstonians in Our New World, beautifully shot, and it was genius. You figured out a way to put boots on the ground, get the intimate shots, communicate with your subjects, but you maintained a safe distance away. Do you mind pulling the curtain back a little bit and telling us how you orchestrated those shots? I received the call from the features editor and, you know, one of our photo editors asking me to conceptualize this idea of lives behind the glass, right? Life beyond doors and and, and, and walls and, and, and truly maybe understand what our neighbors were going through. At the same time, a photo has to be compelling. It should evoke emotions. You know, it should be well layered. But part of that layering includes that it has to, or at least for me, by my book, especially for this project, show a certain level of beauty, originality, and a sense of Houston. Shooting through a window means there's glare, there's screen mesh material in the between. There is lack of intimacy in general, right? I strive, and I have told many other photographers, right? Best photos mean intimate photos, really getting to know your subject. So how do you 
one thing about this virus is that we we have had to change completely the way we, we are reinventing ourselves when we're reinventing the industry and we're reinventing photojournalism. And this is, I think, my first attempt at that, keeping myself safe as well as my subject, but at the same time showing intimacy. And that is the biggest obstacle of all, except that when I arrived, these Houstonians were, I have been doing this for 10 years. And what I saw was so much emotion, so many dreams put on hold at the same time, wanting to use this time in a way to reconnect with their families, reconnect with the little ones of their homes. And the more I understood, the more homes I visited, the more I understood the potential of the project. Okay, so the last picture in the gallery shows two couples split by two apartment buildings. They're both kind of on their balconies and they're having a conversation and they got to be about 10 or 12 feet apart. They look happy. It looks like a normal world, sun shines out, there's palm tree. I arrived not knowing much. The time of the day was perfect. The light was beautiful. I didn't even know where to park, okay? <laughs> I, I, I am encountering a part of Houston that I'm not necessarily extremely familiar with, which is part of the surprises of this project. Two buildings, one next to the other, with two balconies. An ideal situation in the middle of this crisis. If these two neighbors get along, I mean, this is like, it just hit me like a, like a thunderstrike. Oh my God, there's going to be two group of friends talking to each other as they're doing during the middle of this crisis without hurting each other, without passing each other a virus, but still being able to connect in the middle of a beautiful kind of sunset type of moment with all of the aspects. We have a pet, we have diversity. I mean, we, we had it all. Sometimes you're shooting and you're going to families and sometimes the window is not ideal because the windows won't open or the screen mesh won't, it's not removable. So when you have little victories like that, it's such a great encouragement. I want to know, do you think of yourself as an essential worker. I wonder if you've had that thought or even if you have gone through an administrative process to get you credentials so that you can walk the streets. To me, I want to know from your perspective what the power of photography is right now. Is it just art? Is it window to the world? Is it accomplished so that you personally can help put things in motion? Or is it something motivating or a part of you? So I consider myself a visual storyteller who is definitely an essential worker. Basically, we are giving a face to the story. There's something about the visual elements of a photo that makes people feel empathy. If you can get your readers to that point, the probabilities of change and action are of higher probability. And as my journalistic side of it, that is my first responsibility, my community keeping them informed. So there can be changes, adjustments in the benefit of the community. If it's something that it's so distant, it's something in Italy, right? Like, ooh, the crisis is in China. Ooh, the crisis is in Spain. It'll be really hard to get Houstonians to truly understand the danger they might be in, their own families, their own communities, the impacts, right? It's not just a health impact. This is an economy impact. So I believe that when we are visual beings, we respond to visual cues. 
as a community, as people, as human beings, we respond to visual cues. So that is my place. My place is to say, this is what's happening. I go to the scene, I take the photo, I publish it. This is what's going on. I give it a face. And then, then there's this chain effect. So that's the way I see it. And yes, absolutely, photographers are essential workers. Journalists are essential workers. And we cannot do it from home. I was telling my wife yesterday, ignorantly, that I had come to conclude over time that everybody's a photographer. Same way that everyone's a singer, right? If you go to church, everyone's singing. So same way, if there's a car wreck, everyone around's got a phone, they're going to snap a picture of it. You can have an unusual circumstance fall into your lap. Like maybe you're at the beach and a water spout appears and you get that on your iPhone or you're sitting on your back deck and you have an eagle land. You get that picture, you're there for it, but the photographer knows where to seek out a shot and perhaps maybe the best shots I've seen, the photographer has risked their lives to get it for the sake of maybe truth or humanity or their own personal drive, who knows? I thought a lot since last night about what a great shot is, how it's accomplished, what its value is in a moment like we are currently in. And here's what I concluded. And you tell me what you think about kind of my definition of what it is. Certainly not everybody is a photographer. Very few people are a photographer. How is my definition of what a photographer is in your experience? How does it summarize you? Photography, it's breakfast, lunch, snacks, dinner, before bed, when I wake up, my friends, my community, my self-expression. For me, the most successful work, even if it doesn't have that peak eagle moment catching the fish, but it does have a solid idea behind it, a concept, an intention. Always intention should be number one, because if not, yes, everyone can be a photographer. Do you see the difference? I do. And I mean, this is not always the case right now. You know, if there's a fatality, there's a fatality and you photograph that moment and you move on. But the best work... And the work that you see in museums and the work that you see on the list of Pulitzer Prize winning is a mix of deep thought, planning, being there. you got to be there. you got to get out of your couch. Even though coronavirus photos might not always be extremely unique, they will still be powerful because of what happened to the world based on that event. You know, we see people upset often, right? You get a photo of a nurse upset or crying, you know, with their mouth covered. It might not be an extremely unique photo, but it's still an impact because it's reflecting what the world is going through and how it's going to change us. That is the way that photography changes life and impacts history. I mean, I might sound a little idealistic. I get that. It's possible. But it is my motivation to be able to get out of the house every day and do what I do, even though my life might be in danger. Even though I might be sacrificing family moments, even though I'm not being, I'm not getting paid a lot of money, but being part of this thought process and historic event is extremely motivating to me. One of your subjects was a lady named Caitlin Griffith, manager at a closed Italian restaurant. You must have asked her, which is a great question, and so I'm going to ask it of you, what she was going to do when all of this ends. She said, I want to go eat and drink at my favorite restaurants and bars when they open back up, and I want to go to a baseball game. What are you going to do when this is all over? The first thing I'm going to do after this is over and this might sound a little cliche, taking into consideration my background, but the first thing I'm going to do is stop putting excuses and I'm going to go and take salsa lessons. That's, 
<laughs> that is the first thing I'm going to do. I am probably the only Puerto Rican in the entire world that sucks at dancing, okay? <laughs> and I am so embarrassed about that. You have no idea. So the plan is I am going to slow down and I hope my bosses hear this. <laughs> I'm going to slow down and take my salsa dancing classes or lessons right after this. So, yes. You know they have a thing called YouTube, right? I, I know, but I, I look, I, I am one of those that need the, the personal connection and the community. I think we can get that by now. <laughs> yes, I think that you notice. What are you? What are you planning to do after this? Do you know I live out on a farm outside of Hempstead with my wife and we grow garlic and habanero peppers. We have our horse out here and our dogs. I might be one of the only people that really would like to do after this is all over the very thing I'm sitting here getting to talk to you. What more would I want to do after this thing is over? I just hope everybody comes through it okay. I hope so too. I really, I just can't wait for this to be over. This has been Coronavirus Chronicle. Everyone involved with this show would like to thank all those people out in Houston who are inspiring us at the moment. The first responders, essential workers, healthcare professionals, all of you who are stocking the shelves, keeping us provided for in these uncertain times, you have our heartfelt gratitude. How could we ever thank you enough? And to our photojournalists, thank you so much for all you're doing to bring the outside world inside to us. Managing editors Mark LaRondo and Maria Reeve, we thank you for supporting us on this. We appreciate your vision. Scott Kingsley is the Houston Chronicle podcast editor, and I am Farrell Gibbs. The music you're hearing, that's my band, All the Kimonos, but Houston musicians, we are calling for songs to feature each week. Send us your music. We'd love to hear it. Maybe it would be a way for us to get your music out there in these times where audiences are rather scarce. It would be a thrill for us to see that happen. You can email them to hcpodmusic at gmail.com. And until we meet again to the kindest, most resilient city I've ever known, let's stay that way. Houston. <laughs>